Thanks for the prayer, Karina. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Daryl. Um, firstly, I just want to say uh, Bronwyn is not here, and it's just me. She's gone to visit um, her family in Hamilton, and I don't want to sort of show that stereotype of, you know, when the wife leaves the husband, he's like a mess at home. <laughs> but sort of this morning, I rocked up to church, and I haven't seen a friend in a long time. First thing she says to me is, What's wrong with your hair? Or something. I'm like, oh, right. And then she looked at my jacket. I wasn't wearing this one. I was wearing another jacket. And she's like, there's like stuff all over your jacket. I'm like, so, yeah, anyway. Uh, for our first activity, I actually need everybody to participate. And all you need to do is to stand up. So everybody, could I get you on your feet? Today's topic is about maturity. And I'm going to go through different age levels. And you have one simple job to do. When you think you're at the age level that you are mature at, like, yes, I'm mature at that age or whatever I mentioned, then you can sit down. Make sense? If not, just stay standing. See how we go. Right? First level, when you're 12 years old. Who thought, if you were mature, you thought you were mature when you're 12 years old, feel free to sit down. So this was the age you finished primary school. They say primary school is where you learn pretty much everything you need to know about life, which I think is kind of true. And also the Jewish bar mitzvah as well, how they how the Jewish regard their 12-year-olds as people um, able to be responsible as adults. Anyone seated? No, a few kids, they don't count. Anyway, all right, we'll keep going. Uh, 16 years old. So this was, anyone know what's special about a 16-year-old? I don't think, uh, this, I think it's still big around. You know, anyone heard of the debutante thing? They do like a sweet 16, yeah? So apparently in like higher upper classes, when you turn 16, that's like your coming of age. So when you're 16, you enter the world or something like that. I didn't go to a dead ball or anything. But 16 years old, anyone feel free to sit down and think you were, yes, I was mature by then. Really? Okay, we'll keep going. All right, this one should be, hopefully, we'll see. 18 years old. So the legal age in Australia. We got one, is that for... <laughs> all right, so we got one at 18. All right, our first mature person, 18 years old. Oh, okay, right. 18 years old. How about the next one? 21 years old. So think of back when you were 21 years old. So we got a few people more sitting down. A few more people sitting down. Okay. Rest of you? Sure? Still standing. Anyone that was significant about the 21 year age? Had a big party. Why? Why is 21 such a big age? Shouldn't it be 18 with all the legal ramifications from it? Yeah, yeah. What do they normally symbolize with the 21st birthday? Keys, yeah. Anyone receives like a, all the cards or the little birthday? Something about a key for 21. Anyone wonder why that's the case? No, nope, just do it. Supposedly, you got a key when you're 21 because like, it's kind of like your parents saying to you, okay, I see you as uh, grown up enough to have the keys to the house. You take on a more senior position in the family. I didn't know that. I got my keys when I was 12. You know, my parents are really trusting, but uh, anyway, that's what the 21 idea is. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, okay, maybe it's not an age thing. Maybe it's like when you reach a point in your life. So I don't, everyone, goes on differently. How about the time when you moved out? You thought, yes, when I moved out of house, for those that have, that's when I, I was matured. Okay, so most people, all right. Uh, okay, last one. I'm running out of things to say. <laughs> when, for those that are, when you got married, when you thought, yes, I'm married, I'm finally mature, I'm taking on a partner, I am now mature. All right, help me out, those people are still standing. And the last one I actually had was, I'm not yet matured. If you think you're not yet mature, sit down. <laughs> okay, we got a few here. All right. I'm running out of ideas, so feel free to list something that I haven't. Was there a different age? Or? 24, 25. 24, 25. Okay, oh, I missed that one. Yeah, good point. Full-time work. Okay, full-time work. That's everyone. All right, all right. So what sort of things does society actually say you are able to do when you're at that legal age or when you turn 18 here in Australia or I guess 21 in some other places? What sort of things are we allowed to do when we're 18 or 21? Gamble is one of them. Okay. Vote. Vote, yep, you can vote. 
That's it? Drink. Drink, smoke, drive. Yep. Right, okay. Yeah, same with you. You're allowed to join the army when you're 18. So, yep. Anything else? Those are probably the main ones. Okay. Let's talk a bit about physiologically. I said that wrong a bit. Um, th- your brain actually doesn't mature when you're 18. Anyone realize that? You probably do realize that when you're like, when I was 18 years old, yeah, I was so not mature. But that whole equal age thing, scientifically, that's not the case. 12 years old, we actually have everything in our brain that needs to be there in terms of everything has grown, like has has been created, has been formed, I should say. But it hasn't fully developed until, does anyone know the actual age? It's apparently when it's 25 years old is when your, gra- your brain has actually grown to full maturity. Or some people say it's even older than that. So 12 years old, roughly, you have everything, takes those next 13 years of your brain just actually finally developing. I did a, in my second year of uni, I remember um, doing a Pratt class where we actually had to dissect, actually we didn't dissect, we just more just played with the parts. That sounds weird. We actually had to look through a body and I remember holding a human brain, like it was the weirdest feeling. It was like, if you put out your hands like that, it could easily fit into the two palms of your hands. So today's talk's a bit about maturity, but also it's, I'm gonna just preface it by saying that it's more from a guy side of things, because there's a huge difference between how guys develop and how girls develop. I think we all know that. I don't need to tell you that. One sort of difference or one sort of thing that I learned, I learned recently is that did you know, um, guys, their brains, they have six and a half times more gray matter than females do. So, hey. So gray matter, it pretty much is the processing, the stuff that processes information, okay? Six and a half times more than females. I didn't say that, study said. Okay, before the girls <laughs> give you too many bad looks. White matter, though, this is the stuff that actually connects the gray matter, so what actually makes it in for a pass. Females have ten more times the, gray, the white matter than males do. Ten more times. And not only that, I remember I told you that the brain, not as big as a Bible, but a bit smaller. Um, scientifically, let's say the male brain is actually bigger than the female brain. Okay. Male brain is bigger, but the male brain is actually more expanded. Let's just say the female brain is more compacted. It's just it's more more value in it, I should say. So things also with the more white, with the more white matter and with the smaller compact brain, girls think they'll work faster. I'm no brain study expert or anything, but that's what I've read. Any study that I've read so far, girls mature faster than guys do. Yeah, I think we all knew that in a way anyway. Um, Oh, could I get the video up? You may become a legal adult when you're 18, but scientists say... 18, a grown-up? Yeah, right. Hey everyone, Lacey Green here for DNews. Question, when does someone grow up? It's a philosophical question. It could have to do with the life experiences someone has and the wisdom they gain from those experiences. It's also a scientific question. Being a grown-up is related to how mature you are, or more specifically, how developed your brain is. For years, scientists have known that the human brain is not fully developed until around the age of 25. Although we have all of our gray matter, which includes cell bodies and neurons, nerve fibers, and support cells, by the time we're 12, it takes more than a decade for all that matter to become fully wired and pruned for efficiency. So this is a process called neuromaturation and scientists believe it's the reason why teens in general, okay, in general, share some common behaviors. So I'm talking about things like sensation-seeking, risk-taking, and needing to be accepted by their peers. So the teenage brain is going through a lot of critical transformations, particularly in the prefrontal cortex, which is one of the last areas of the brain to fully mature. It's responsible for executive functions like goal setting, paying attention, motivation, planning, understanding consequences, and having self-control. So the fact that these functions are underdeveloped is part of why teenagers tend to engage in risky and impulsive behaviors like experimenting with drugs and alcohol, having unprotected sex, speeding, and doing stupid things that drive their parents a little cray-cray. Right around puberty, the brain's dopaminergic reward centers also become highly active and slowly wither out as you become an adult. This makes teenagers especially prone to peer pressure. The reward centers are super sensitive to social approval or disapproval. One study found that a 20-year-old was 50 
50% more likely than a fully grown adult to do something risky if two peers were watching. Scientists have also found that brain circuitry responsible for emotional responses are changing, making teens more responsive to emotionally loaded situations than both children and adults. So teenagers might seem like they're being really dramatic with their emotions, but the reality is they're experiencing them very intensely. They're also experiencing a lot of feelings for the first time, which can exaggerate their intensity further. Intellectually speaking, the capacity to learn will never be as high as it is when you're a teenager, and their intellectual power and ability to do mental tasks is already right up there with adults. So I think there's a tendency for grown-ups to become impatient and dismiss teens as stupid, immature, and incapable, but it helps to remember that teens are undergoing a lot of neurodevelopment. It's all a part of the natural process where a human moves from dependence on caregivers to an independent, fully functional adult, which is obviously a really important time, and in my opinion, is well-deserving of a little extra love and patience. Thanks for joining me for D News. Now you have the scientific end, but I want to know philosophically, what do you think makes someone a grown-up? Share your insights down below, and we'll see you next time. We're going to do just very that. Well, not comment, but in terms of trying to work out what maturity actually means. So how do we define what maturity is? So wherever you're sitting, if you can pair up with somebody next to you, that'd be great. Just discuss with your partner or your pair of threes works fine as well. The definition of maturity. I'll give you two minutes. Yeah, so pair up with somebody or any group you want to form, discuss what you think a definition is. We wrap up discussion so we can with final thought. Alright. Hopefully we'll go around to each pair or group and maybe at least one of you can share if possible if you don't have to, but it'd be great if we have one response at least from each group. Okay, maybe we can go in like a horseshoe. So we're, if you want to share, feel free to. If not, that's fine. We can get at least one response. What definition of maturity? Pretty good benchmark to start with. Okay, right. Cool, thanks. Uh, I'll jump behind. We summed it up as the ability to make wise and responsible decisions. Okay. Everyone agree? Disagree? Generally, yeah? Okay, jumping to the back group. All right. Okay. I like it. I like it. Jumping over. Uh, I was going to say similar to what they had. Okay. Yep. Cool. Uh, jumping forward to the back row. Yep. That's fine. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> um, guys. Say more? Okay. Let's go. The consequences? Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Everyone's taking from your answer, Sam, so I guess. Oh, this, I'll, I'll take, let me read to you the second best response I've heard. It came from a sermon um, by a guy called Sebastian Braxton, and this is what his grandfather told him of what maturity is. I reckon that's the second best answer I've heard. It's this. Maturity is when someone doesn't need to tell you what to do anymore. I reckon that is really true. That really hit me because um, over the last four or five years, I've had a few uh, work experience students, or I should say people from my church. I said, hey, Daryl, can we come do work experience with you? They thought I'd, all I do is just muck around at, at school. Kind of true, but anyway, they came along. All four of them came, and at the end of the work experience, I don't know if you re- remember your work experience or you ever taken the work experience student before, is you have a little evaluation sheet that you have to fill it up at the end. So this is like basically their performance, what they weigh, what just basic stuff that you we normally get marked on in the workplace. One thing that I never gave a top mark for, and it's kind of awkward because I know that they're going to show their parents who are going to see me at church. So I'm like, oh, how do I feel this thing without being, you know, biased? So, but one thing I never gave a top mark for, and if anything, I gave like a low, like maybe just pass or just, just to be not too mean or anything, but something about being proactive. Never got that. They were great kids. You tell them what to do, they'll do it. Do they do anything if they, if you don't tell them? Not nope. sitting on a chair, rolling around. So it's proactive is one of the things that I think really, really, um, really separates it. And today we're going to look at uh, maturity. I originally titled the sermon, the one at the bottom, Spiritual Maturity, but I don't like that title anymore. So I'm going to go with the top one of God's definition of maturity. Often I think we use the word spiritual as if it's different to what the actual thing is. You know what I mean? Just go, okay, there's a spiritual definition, that's what you think, but there's also like the real world definition. I don't like that. I like, I like things that are spiritual. I think they're really spiritual. They work in the real world. So I'm going to the top title, um, God's Definition of Maturity. If you all have your Bibles, if you don't, that's cool to share the verse next to you. Can you uh, pop it open? We're going to look at our first verse and our, really our main verse we're going to study today. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Let's see what the Bible says is as the definition of maturity. Well, we'll work it out from this verse. Everyone there? First Corinthians chapter 13 and from verse 11. Could I get a volunteer to please read that out? I used to have a debate with my friend about this. We always talk about what it means to maturity. We're still, we're sort of getting the grasp of it now, but he's telling me, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm working, and I'm doing it, supporting my family. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, cool. So anyway, we have this talk, and we always come back to this verse. Notice how it doesn't immediately say, this is what it means to be a man or a woman of God. This is what doesn't mean, this is what you need to be to be, to have maturity or to be mature. It rather lists things that a child does. Notice there are three, I think most of your Bible should say three different things in which the Bible says describe this child. So the first one you should say something is something on the lines of understanding. How a child understands, how a child speaks, and how the child thinks. If we unlock what those three things are that we need to put away, the Bible says that from that we become mature. We become a man or woman fully mature. Let's look at the first one, understanding. How does a child actually understand? Luckily, the Bible gives us clues into this. So if you can turn your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to look at these three things. So understanding, what, as a child, what does that even mean? Hebrews chapter 5, if I get somebody to read up verse 12, 13, and 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. Um, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world of righteousness, in the word of righteousness. 
have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. All right. Did everyone pick that up? So we have the idea of a child again, and the child of, and the idea of a, a mature person. Notice what does the child eat, according to your Bible? Milk makes sense. What does that mature person eat? Solid food. Okay, again, kind of makes sense. What does the Bible symbolize as these things? As in, what do they symbolize? What is milk? What is solid food? Isn't just food. What's it trying to say that these things are? If you look carefully, what does what this milk idea and what this solid food idea? They both actually symbolize the Word of God, the Scriptures itself. And if you look carefully, I think um, we read in verse 14 that you come of full age. If you go on and read chapter 6, verse 1, it again goes on to say, um, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That word perfection is actually exactly the same as the one before, the idea of coming of age, of, of full age. So perfection of full age, same thing. But the first thing we get that I get a glimpse of is that a child can understand, while well, talking about the scriptures, there is a basic understanding to this. And there's a deeper understanding to it as well. There's milk and there's solid food. It took me a while to sort of understand how this sort of worked. But when I thought about my own life and how I got, grew up with understanding the Bible, I kind of said, oh, it does, sort of does make sense. When I was a bit younger, I looked at the Bible, I saw it as pretty much stories. And when I got that, when you got the, it's like, oh man, I, yeah, I know the Bible. There's Genesis, which is all the cool, interesting stories. There's the gospel, which is more cool, interesting stories. And there's maybe, maybe Daniel's not a, not a bad story. And everything else is just, yeah. So I, that's the books I read. I read the Genesis and maybe a bit of Exodus. That's not too bad. I read, I read the gospels. Yeah, I read the Bible. Well, the good bits anyway. And so for a long time, I did that. And, and I got an idea who Jesus is. I got an idea what Christianity is about. But if you kind of follow with my childlike milk drinking thinking, it's not as deep as it can be. It's like knowing a person like just in church, but not knowing what they're like throughout the week. You only get a glimpse or a small understanding of what they're like. Another illustration I'll give you is I started having my Bible studies with my cousin. And, um, yeah, she's really keen to study the Bible. She's about 12 years old. She's 12, yeah, 12 years old. And um, she has a lot of questions. And uh, I don't know if you know questions from a 12-year-old. They are really interesting and they're really, really tough. And whenever we read the Bible, she would read, uh, encourage her to read the Bible herself. And she read the Bible herself, and she always came up with a page of questions for me. And these questions are like not like, oh, what does this symbolize, or how does that apply it to my life? It's like, uh, what is circumcision, for example? It's the last one I remember. What is... Well, she read the Genesis. She was interested in Genesis. It's hard to explain Genesis to a 12-year-old. I mean, the older started stories, why is it that it's only male-dominant? Why is it all these things? So it's... It's understanding, isn't it? Not saying those questions aren't important. They're, they're at one level. Yeah, okay, we understand what is going on. But one week I thought, okay, I gotta change this. It's just, we can keep going with this, but I think I'll either say something really wrong and I'm sure I think Oscar somehow. Let's change this up a bit. So one week in the study, I thought, okay, maybe we can teach her the principles of studying the Bible in terms of what we can actually get from it in terms of a message from God. So are there lessons, are there principles we can get from it? So I don't know if anyone's heard of the SOAP method, like the Scripture Observation Application Prayer. It's just a little acronym that we, um, that we learned to help us understand the Bible a bit better. So I taught her that one week. And next week, yes, the questions were more in terms of applying, applying something in her life. It was much better. Yep, there was still the odd, awkward, what does this mean? Yeah, that's fine. It, there, she's a 12-year-old. But generally, the questions went a lot more deeper in terms of, Oh, okay. What, what does this teach me about Jesus? What does Jesus teach me about church or something like that? And I think she's getting there. Like, um, for those that know the story in Daniel chapter two about this statue and this, um, this huge prophecy is supposed to be like world events. I don't know how she got to it, but she's like, Oh, okay. I need to be nice to that person at school. Or this one person she named. Right? I don't see it, but I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to play Holy Spirit or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. She's at least learning something, I believe, from God. So I believe there's a level in which we can sort of grow in what we learn. That we can, that's just superficial and like, it's too important. We have to start with milk, but then it has to go on to something a bit deeper. The whole idea is about it being growth, not about just more milk, not about just, okay, I'm a kid, I'm just going to go with more um, solid food. Imagine the baby doing that. I remember when I was three years old and my mom always told me this one thing. I think I realized why now. She always says, Daryl, Chew your food properly. 
Uh, I have a big mouth, like not like metaphorically, but literally like a big mouth. And I would just scoff down. I remember one time nearly choked on this food and remember my uncle having to reach down. I said, another story. But it's not about just scoffing it all down, is it? It's more about just gradually building up, building up. So we're not going to go in the Bible. Okay, I, I know, I need solid food. What's the hardest book in the Bible? Oh, this looks interesting. Dive straight into it. I found that didn't work. I just got discouraged and I stopped reading the Bible sometimes when I went that method. But from wherever level we're at, nothing wrong with being on milk, nothing wrong with being here, nothing wrong with being there. The whole idea is wherever is at, we're at, wherever, whatever the Bible is at to us, the whole idea is the step and step and step growth we should get from reading the Bible. Another element to it, I believe, is oftentimes I think my, my Christian life just consisted of church in the sense of the only time I spent time with the Bible is church. Uh, some people do that. I, um, it's, everyone's got their own relationship with God. But in essence, I thought to myself, how does that work in relationship with anybody? If you just spend that you know, once a week, whatever it is, usually that means that you're close, but you're not. You, you could be closer. You know what I mean? You usually want to spend more time with someone if you have a deeper relationship. So for a time, it was that church sermon that I think, yeah, it was interesting. But then after that, I thought, I think my brother got me onto it, to more listening to talks like like online, MP3s, you know, just chuck it on your, what did I have back then? I can't remember. Listening to MP3s, I guess I went to school or whatever it was. From, the, from church, I thought I went to sermons, then I went later to actually opening the Bible for myself and actually looking at it, reading it for myself. I think that's a huge difference. It's like if I had a message for somebody, going through another person, it's not going to be the same message. You know what I mean? So there's all these levels of growth that we can talk about, but the whole idea of the understanding as a child, or understanding as a mature person, is moving on, the idea of growth, getting deeper deeper into the Word of God. Have lost anyone? Was that, yeah? Making sense? Okay, good. Second one. So that's the understanding as a child. Next one is the speaking as a child. Okay, I'll ask this anyway. How do ch- children speak? Speak their mind. Speak their mind. They sure do. <laughs> yeah. Usually without much. What's the word where you actually think it through? Yeah, that thing. Yeah, speaking their mind. Let's jump to the Bible. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. And yeah, it's very much speaking your mind actually when I come to think of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 to 15. Uh, Could I get a volunteer to please read that as well? Ephesians 4, verse 13 to 15. I love that verse 14 bit that Michael just read. Often I feel my life is a bit like that, that whatever the circumstances, I just get thrown into it. This is this happens, happened to you, bang, you're sort of stuck in that little. That's how I feel sometimes life gets. And in Bible, she said that's actually quite a childlike way of reacting to things, that whatever the circumstance, whatever the wind is, that's where you head. So I like the idea that the Bible promises something a bit more, more steadiness in life even. But what does it say about speaking? How do we actually speak? Because if you notice in numbers, what is it, verse 15, it says through three, four with five words, speaking truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. I thought about this and thought, what does that mean? How does, uh, oh, this is obviously a mature person, speaking the truth in love. What's the child version of that? I remember I uh, went to school in uh, what, in Christian college, and I think it was year seven or eight. I remember a Bible class where um, it was, I think, about Revelation or something that, you know, quite a specific Adventist message. And not everyone at the school was Adventist. I was one, but there were a few people who weren't. And we, as Adventists, we were like, oh, yeah, let's gang up on the person that's not from this church. Because we know more than him, especially the teachers backing us up with it. Let's go and show him that every Revelation is right. And then I remember in the locker room, I'm like, yeah, man, come on. Why you go to church this way? It's Revelation. Like, come Oh, you guys, you don't, I don't know what I said, but it's probably something that's stupid. And I remember winning the argument, okay? I remember at the end, he's like, yeah, yeah, all right, you are right. 
Um, you can probably guess where this story is going. He didn't come to church next week or anything like that. Um, it, it didn't work, put it that way. A childlike explanation of speaking the truth or sharing Jesus in that way. What's the difference? Speaking the truth in love. Notice how Jesus did it. Is there a difference in what he did? How he spoke the truth. A child just, who said it before, just blurts things out, yeah. An adult, a more mature person, Bible says that actually speaks the truth with love in mind. The first idea, the idea of understanding, the idea of scripture. Second idea, the idea of speaking the truth in love, how we share Jesus, or sharing Jesus firstly, but how we do it is key, how we do it is so important. Let's go to the last one, and I think we'll wrap, wrap it up here. It's how a child thinks. We have thought, we have understanding, we have speech, and now we have thought. This is an easy one. How do children think? When they're born, you can probably have a guess what they're thinking about. Throughout their life, how do children think? There's only one word that I think that really sums it up. It's selfish. Agreeing? It's, it's just, oh, children, right? Can you, uh, I think whether I should share this story or not. Yeah, I will. Um, I won't say who they are. So I know these people and they watched that uh, recent, um, Disney movie, um, Frozen, where there's a, the ending, sorry, directed, if you've ever seen it. It's something about the sister sacrificing herself because she wants to protect her, her sister. And they're talking to that person and she's like, why would you do that? And then the funniest thing though was like, her sister was right there. <laughs> I looked at her like, uh, she's right there. She's like, yeah, I don't know, why would you do that? I'm like, oh, but you care about your sister. Yeah, but why would you do that? It's like, so that clearly taught me how to like the difference, how a child thinks to how not. Can you jump, turn your Bibles back to First Corinthians, First Corinthians 13? We're going to try and conclude this all up with how a child thinks. First Corinthians 13. The best way usually to cite the Bible is to read around the context. If you haven't figured out already, we're actually in First Corinthians 13. That should ring a few bells of where we're going with this. There's already a lot of hints to it. Let's read the verses around that the main verse we're studying. So we read 11 again. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Okay, we sort of got an idea of what the first two things are about. Let's look at what the context overall of why the writer's actually saying these things. Let's look at the first one. Let's read immediately after. So in verse 12, the Bible says, everyone there, First Corinthians 13, verse 12, For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also as am known. The idea of seeing someone, not fully, but we'll hopefully getting a bigger picture. What does that mean? Let's clear things up even more. Let's jump to verse 10. The Bible says, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Okay. Still a bit cryptic, but luckily there's a verse that the same writer actually goes on to use the same sort of, very similar writing, and the idea of looking in the mirror, something about being revealed more. Let's see what the writer's trying to talk about. So you can jump the next book forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And to chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to read verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, the Bible says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, as are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So just to, to capture what the whole last idea about is, is about, is really the whole con- the immediate context of where this verse actually lies in, it's a whole idea of actually Jesus revealing who he, is, who he is and Jesus saying, this is who I am. Go and be the same person as well. We're going to um, go back to 1 Corinthians 13. I really want to try this. It worked in my head, so I'm hoping it will work here. 1 Corinthians 13. 
If you look at this uh, from verse 4 onwards, it's probably, I know we're not at a wedding, but this is where we normally read that, that verse, yeah? Love is so on and love is so on. But I did this the other day. I thought, hey, that's really cool. Uh, you know, in math, they have substitutions where if something equals something, you put that into something else and it still works. For those that remember math, yeah? Okay, well, the idea that love is this, love is that. What does the Bible say love is? Or what is love? It's God. So, with that rule, God equals love, and we have lots of love, 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 love here, let's read it as if, because we can just do the rule, God is so-and-so. That really blew my mind. Have a, have a read, listen to this. So follow along, I'll start from verse 4. Um, God suffers long and is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade himself. Uh, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Uh, God does not seek his own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. To me, that blew my mind of what a beautiful picture we have of God. So really, the, as much as a child thinks about himself and being selfish, we have here a huge, huge opposite of what it means to be mature, what it means to be a full man of God. It's giving a picture, a description, the character of who Jesus actually is. And who is Jesus? If you read through, you don't have to read through those stories, but if you see who Jesus actually is, you get this idea of this guy with such amazing selfless love. Absolutely amazing. My favorite story about this is, um, it's when Jesus was spending, like, as he always would be, I think it was a Saturday, he would spend the whole day pretty much what he normally did, so healing people, preaching to people. So for those that have been to church for, like, most of the day, like, uh, even a good chunk of the day, no, it's pretty tiring by the end. Usually, what do you think of Saturday night? Let's, let's have a meal. I think we're doing that later, yeah. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's have a meal. Let's have a rest. Let's give church a little bit of a break. Let's go and just relax a bit. We've had a whole day of church. Great. Let's just relax a bit. So Jesus, I don't know what I was thinking, the same things, but the same situation came to him. He had a whole day of doing church things, well, church things in the sense of helping people. But when he went to wanting to rest, guess what? There was still a huge crowd around him, and they still wanted more of what he was doing throughout the day. The cool part is, and what really draws me to Christianity is this. It's not about the rules, it's not about church, and it's not even about friends sometimes. It's actually about this. That what Jesus thought was his mind, I love the word, the Bible says he had compassion for those people. He had every right to be like, guys, I've been with you the whole day, Sabbath, I've done my duty, I've done. But he said, in his his heart, he said, I have compassion for these people. To me, that sort of blew my mind. That sort of thought, wow, this is what it really means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be that mature person. And so I guess another definition we can sort of say is what it means to be mature it's how much like Jesus we are. Or to put it very simply, and I always thought I came up with this, but then it's pretty clever, so I don't think I did. It says, maturity is when you think you are, when you think more about others than yourself. That, I reckon, is the best definition, and that sums up what Jesus is trying to say. Let me read it one more time. Maturity is when you think more about you, about others than yourself. There's a group that, uh, we sort of, at my other church that I've been going to, we started, anyone know what WhatsApp is? Or have the app? It's a great thing, yeah. Like, anyway, uh, we started this WhatsApp group, and we, it's a few of us, it's a four guys, and we started this group, okay, this is a bit embarrassing, but we started this group mainly initially to talk about girl issues. They were coming, because these are younger guys at the church, they were like teenage, and they're sort of, their eyes were opening to females. And so they wanted an outlet, they wanted a way to discuss these things. So this group was formed. And I wonder one of my friends said, oh, we can't, we can't, you know, we know what we're talking about, but we've got to hide it. We can't, he didn't say it, but he, this is what I'm pretty sure I was thinking. Let's call it something. So one day I woke up, I looked at the group and it was Senior District Bowling Club. I'm like, what? What is this? I look back and I'm like, oh. I'm like, why is it called Senior District Bowling Club? Like, oh, you know, it's like people won't know, they won't know what we're on about. Like, Okay, cool. All right. It's really funny. We went on the trip, like, just the four of us just to hang out, just no male bonding time and that. And we actually tried, went to a bowling club. It was in, it was in like rural areas. And we actually did that. And it was not as good as it sounds, but it was an interesting experience nonetheless. So 
senior district bowling club form based on few guys wanting to talk about girls. Essentially that. Thankfully though, the four of us grew pretty tight together and with, um, I encourage a few of them to read this book. I don't know if you've heard of it before. It's called Wild at Heart. It's by John Eldridge and the book's good and bad. There's some bits that talk about, it's basically about how to be a man, how to be a man of God. And there's some really interesting elements to it. Like, I wouldn't take it all for heart because if we would, it would be very American in the sense that we'll be buying, I think he takes his son for like shooting trips when they're 12. I don't know. It's like a coming of age for them. Like, yeah, you are now a man. Here's, I don't think I gave him a gun, but all this old manly presence. Anyway, that's, that's the book. The good parts about the book that I think we can draw from it is that there's three things in which a guy should aim for what what guys are about. So this is where I talked about before guy girl difference. So sorry, I don't know how females work too well. <laughs> Not, anyway, you know what I mean. We're gonna go guy focused on girls. So, uh, I'm sure there'll be a future talk about it. But as in terms of being a guy, there are three things that John Eldridge said. One was um, every guy has a battle to fight. Number one. Number two, an adventure to live. And number three, a beauty to fight for. Battle to fight, adventure to live, beauty to fight for. It sounds like your typical summer action movie, doesn't it? Huge battle to be fought, there's a huge adventure that takes all these things, and it's usually a girl as like the surprise at the end, or some sort of like that. And I thought, are you serious? This is what they're recommending to guys? How, how we can grow up to be, to reinforce that stereotype of little boys running around with their swords and that. And thankfully the book went a bit deeper, because actually those three things actually describe in some ways, God the Father, God of God who He is. Okay, bear with me here. Battle of the fight, God's efforts and the battle He is fighting against sin, devil, Satan, evil. God is on this huge mission battle for that. And adventure to live, if you look at, think about all the Bible stories, they're not like boring in the sense that sometimes we can associate church with just sitting there and listening. Uh, you read through the Bible, it's not like that. There's a sense of adventure to it. The ways that, you know, God led all the characters through all these paths. There's a sense of adventure to it. And the beauty of the rescue, well, God actually likens that to his relationships. The whole idea that relationships are the key and most important thing to him. Okay. How we can apply that though as, or more so as guys, but there's a girl version of the book anyway. But a battle to fight is that God is calling men, guys, to, to join him on this battle. God's not going to fight it on his own. He can, but he wants us to join on this battle with him. And that is the battle. can be against sin, can be against... There's some battle against sin, basically the great controversy in a nutshell. A battle to fight. And adventure to live is more the mindset. The idea that as guys, we shouldn't be all like, yes, I know what to do. I am in control. As much as what that's how we normally think of as guys. The book actually talks about more about letting go of your control about saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. The whole idea of adventure, you know, you don't go out, the best trips aren't like, I'm going to do this, this, this. Okay, some people are like that, but I reckon the best adventure trips is like, let's go there and let's see what happens. That, that, that sense of adventure where you're willing to let things happen, that you don't always have to be con- in control. More importantly, you're w- willing to let God be in control. And the last one, I won't talk too much about it, but the whole idea of um, there is a girl that does fit into those plans of helping you achieve those things and you just working together with those things as well. And if you think about it, this closely resembles to the story of Adam and how he pretty much got to Eve in terms of the battle and the adventure and all that. So why am I sharing all this with you? Basically, uh, after I shared that, um, those guys, remember, these teenage boys, what's on their minds? Not, not, no battle. Maybe some adventure, but it was definitely girls. Thankfully, though, after through the book and through spending time with them, growing up and so on, I think they got a bigger idea of what things were about. Because as much as we like to do the fun stuff and run around and do crazy things, at the end of the day, I'll just show you one little bit. Um, one of them is um, having probably planning to do like a gap year next year. So gap year, a year off between um, usually high school and uni. can be any time, actually. But his plans for that year, he told me, he shared with me in quite detail, had to do with going to a Bible college, there's one up in North New South Wales that he wants to attend. He attends plans to go and do a big chunk of Bible work, so attaching himself to a church and just spend time just, you know, going out and trying to minister and trying to share the Bible with people. And the last part, I think, was going to Africa to just to wrap it all up as like a finishing experience. The same, same teenage boy, crazy about girls at one time, 
growth, I think, mature, saw, big, saw bigger things, moved on into what I think is a bit more meaningful, a bit more purposeful, a bit more mature. I think that's amazing. I mean, I think it's only something that God can do or God does because what really can motivate such change? What really can bring about such thing but God's love himself, his awesome love that's so compassionate, sometimes blows my mind. I want to end with just a closing thought in the sense that, have you heard of the phrase, um, little kid in a, a big man's body? Like, imagine like, okay, just try to picture, hopefully it's not too long, imagine eight-year-old you. And imagine him still controlling who you are. So remember, whatever you like at eight, and now you're in this body. Is it, is it how it is in real life? I know you probably think of a few people, I know exactly who's someone he's talking about, like who is like, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's me, I don't know. But are we just really adults who've grown up, but we still have that same little boy in the sense, little, same little girl, in the sense of just having all these selfish, selfish thoughts? God is calling us to so much more. He's calling us to look outwards. He's calling us to care more about others than ourselves. He's calling us to look at Jesus as the perfect example of that. And that is what draws our motivation, if you like, to be that person for him. So we're going to go on the way to talk about more of a discussion. I think this, this is a huge topic on that, um, yeah, we're only just starting to un- uncrack. But I'm going to just close on this one, um, one quote, if you like. It says this, The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others spring constantly from within. Read that one more time. Um, the completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. And that's my prayer for everyone of us today. So the song of response uh, for this afternoon is Refiner's Five. And it's just this idea of uh, maturing and uh, maturing in the process of uh, experiencing the circumstances that God brings into our lives to help us in that growth process. So uh, if you want to follow along with the uh, the words, join me. Oh
Shall we close in prayer? Father in heaven, we just thank you for your selfless love that's just simply amazing, and we just pray that um, we draw on this love to really be, to grow, to become closer to you, and to really see who you really are, so, and to inspire us uh, to be better people in the sense of seeing um, other people more than ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray.